I'm Joe Collins. Welcome to See Me Church. Our mission is to love and to live like Jesus. We're in a series called Jesus Worth Following. Following Jesus is more than about saying the right thing. It's also about doing the right thing. Today we're going to talk about making the most of every moment. I want to say thank you to our worship band. That was incredible worship. Thank you very much. Really, really moved there at the end with the song that Stephanie was singing. I almost jumped up and put my hands up, but I restrained myself. But uh, wanted to, I know I should have, I should have, but I don't know. You might judge me. I feel judged sometimes. But thank you, Christian. But uh, man, that was, that was beautiful, guys. And, and we are so blessed to have people who commit. I mean, every week, every Thursday, they get together, they rehearse just so they can put on a great uh, worship for us to get us in the right mindset. And really thank you for that. So, you know, we've been in this series and I like to start off with a story every time. And so I got a story about a duck and uh, the duck was standing on the side of a road. And he was wanting to cross the road, not the chicken, but the duck this time, wanted to cross the road, but the road was busy, so he was waiting for his opportunity. Well, while he stood there, a chicken came along and stood next to him. And after some time, the chicken looked at the duck and he said, what are you doing? And the duck said, well, I'm waiting for the traffic to break so I can cross the road. And the chicken said, don't do it, man. You'll never hear the end of it. Sometimes we think moments are more significant than others, and sometimes that's true. Some moments are more significant than others, but that doesn't mean that all moments aren't important, and that's what I want to talk about today. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you so very much for this time to be together. Thank you for your uh, guiding us in the worship, for your word, and I pray that you speak through me now. And to the audience and to myself as we look at your word and help us to be inspired by what we read and minister to this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 11. We finally made it to Mark chapter 11. It's only taken a few years to get here, but we're finally here. We're going slowly through the book of Mark. Verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. So it's the last few weeks of Jesus' ministry, and uh, you can see the map in, sort of in the background. That's our, our map that we use every week of, of Palestine, but I've put a new map on top of it because we have some new things to talk about. But... But throughout Jesus' ministry, he spent most of his time in what we call Palestine. That's that big map in the back. And towards the end of his time on earth, literally the last six months, he began to make his way down into a region called Perea. Perea is where you see the word route of the triumphal entry. That's about the area of Perea. And Jesus spent some time down there. And that was where John the Baptist, his ministry was, and where Jesus began his ministry. And so it was kind of a, a, a way, a sort of going back to the start, as Jesus knew his time was short and about to end. So he spent some time there, and then he made his way into Judea. And we looked at last week where he went through the two cities of Jericho. He healed the blind man, Bartimaeus. But he went into Judea, and he specifically went to a town called Bethany. And now we look at our little insert map here, and we see the town Bethany. Bethany's no more than two miles from Jerusalem. You see Jerusalem there on the left. 
Now, even though they're so close, the two cities can't see each other because in between Bethany and Jerusalem is the Mount of Olives. So Bethany was on the eastern side of the mount. Jerusalem was on the western side. They wouldn't be able to see each other even though they were super close to one another. Historians tell us, or, or, or researchers say, that, that, that it appears that in Bethany there was a community of Galileans. Gal Galilee is, if you see the map in the back up at the top, that little lake, Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, that's the area of Galilee, and there was a large Jewish community there. And some of them migrated from Galilee down into Judea to, to live close to the city and close to the temple. I don't know if they stayed there year-round, or if maybe they, they, they got places there that they would use for extended periods of time so that they could be and, and take time to worship at the temple. I don't know the case, but it appears that there was a community of Galileans in Bethany. It, it's, it also suggests that, that Martha and Mary, if you know the story about them, if not, we'll, we'll fill you in another time, but there was two people, two sisters named Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus. They lived in Bethany. And if it's true that they were part of the Galileans that settled there, then that would explain why Jesus knew who they were. Because when you read the Gospels, it's funny, sometimes he just talks to somebody as if he knows them. But the story doesn't give us the backstory. Well, here we have some indication that they were probably Galileans. Jesus probably knew them. And when they moved down there, their house became the place he would stop frequently and visit when he was in the area. And that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus, in the last few weeks of his life, traveled from Perea over to Bethany, and he hung out at the home of Mary, Martha, and their brother, Lazarus, something he had done on a number of occasions before. And they were there because it was the Passover, and pilgrims by the tens of thousands, Jewish faithful from all over the area of Palestine, were streaming in to the city of Jerusalem looking for places to stay, <clears throat> Certainly some of them stayed in Bethany and, and surrounding areas, but that's, that's why he was there. It was Passover, big time of year. Everybody came to Jerusalem to worship. But something really significant happened when Jesus first came to Bethany, literally just in the past few days. Anybody want to take a guess? Say that again. Lazarus died but was raised to life. Jesus appeared, came to Bethany, and on the way, Lazarus had passed away, and when he arrived, he rose Lazarus back to life. That's probably the most notable thing that happened in the city of Bethany in, any, in all of its history. It would be pretty notable if it happened here in Simi Valley, I would think. Now, pause for a second, because I know we have new, new faces and old faces, and I need to kind of keep everybody, get everybody to the same pace. So to give a little quick background, Jesus spent three, and a half, three years or so in his public ministry. He started out, in, like I said, in Priya, went up into the north part of Palestine, up into Galilee, around Capernaum in that area. And he zigzagged all over the place, preaching repentance and practicing grace. And he became quite well known. He was very notable. In fact, he was a rising star. People were very aware of who Jesus was. He was the, the hot topic of the day. And in the last year, he actually fed some 20,000 people on one occasion miraculously. And then on another time, he fed some 25,000 people miraculously. Now, if you feed that many people miraculously, you get some notoriety. Jesus was unbelievably well known at this point. To some, he was notorious. 
because they didn't agree with his teaching and his perspectives. And so there was some debate between the populace who loved him and then the religious leaders who were really uncomfortable with who he was. But can you imagine Jesus being this well-known? And then he shows up in Bethany during the Passover when tens of thousands of people are streaming by, heading into Jerusalem, and he raises somebody from the dead. His notoriety, his fame shot into the stratosphere. I mean, I, I can't even compare this to anything in our day. I don't know who, who, who could we say that's just, you know, up there in the, in the ether. Jesus was there. Word was out. Word spread like wildfire through the pilgrims, throughout the city of Jerusalem. And people were like, he's somewhere around. In fact, it got so hot, the religious leaders wanted to kill him now, and they wanted to kill Lazarus to get rid of him too. Jesus had to sneak out and go hide in the wilderness for a few days, and then he made it back to Bethany. And we pick up our story on Sunday morning, the last week of his life. He's in Bethany, and he wakes up, and it's the day. It's his time. He is ready to enter Jerusalem. This is at the height of his notoriety. So he sends some disciples on ahead to Bethphage. We'll talk about that in a minute. And along the way, obviously, people are seeing his disciples. They're making news that he's coming, and word starts to spread. The, the, the air is electric. The intensity and the, the, the importance of the moment is there. It was Jesus' time. It was his moment to make his statement. For three years, we have been building Simi Church. We meaning us together. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate our third birthday. Can you imagine three years? It's, we're three years old. It started way, a long time ago with people who lived out here, part of a larger church in the valley, who wanted something local. We eventually went through this process of, okay, let's do a few Bible studies out here. Let's create a, maybe a midweek service, and that eventually evolved. We got a Sunday service going. Then we started different ministries, high school, teen, etc. And then we said, okay, great, let's make it official, and we launched See Me Church, and now we're a functioning church. We have a budget, we have staff, we have uh, people volunteering, we've got a worship band. I mean, we're the real deal. A lot has gone on in that time. In the, it, it, at the same time we're trying to build Simi Church, we get a call from Shoreline and they, and, and they need some extra help. So we, we merge just out of nowhere with Shoreline. We go through some restructuring and we relaunch the Shoreline Church and now we're two churches see me and shoreline and we work together as one family with two warships but all that's behind us now all that's done all that's resolved and it's our time it's our time this is our moment we have a statement to make to see me valley our brothers in Oxnard in the Shoreline Church have a statement to make to Oxnard and their neighbors. Our statement is mission love. Yeah. To love and live like Jesus. 
We're not trying to be another church. God knows they don't need another church in Simi Valley. I think there's like 400 already. What we need is people who will live in love like Jesus. Do you see the writing? Do you see the signs? Can you feel the electricity? Because if you can't, I can. I, 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 without any shadow of a doubt in my mind, this is our time. We're ready. It's time for us to live and to love like Jesus, to make our statement. This is our moment. Verse 3. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? Jesus, they answered just as Jesus told them to, and the people let them go. So Jesus gets up, he sends two disciples out, the word starts to spread that he's on the move. They go to Bethphage and they're looking for a colt. Now Jesus gave them very specific instructions, where to go, where to find it, what to say when someone asks, and, and how to get everything ready, right? So they go, and lo and behold, everything happens exactly as he said it would. They find the colt where it's supposed to be, his little young donkey. Uh, there's people asking, what are you doing with that? They say, oh, the master needs it. Clearly they were, oh, oh, he's here. That's how known he was. Uh, they start making things ready. It all happens exactly as they say. I find it curious when I read Mark in his account that he spends several verses on the finding of the colt. It's kind of weird because this is the moment. This is Jesus' day. This is when he's going to make his statement to the world. And, oh, by the way, let's get into this conversation about his Uber and how he got there and, you know, the people. I mean, it's kind of like writing a biography on some famous movie star and they're going to go get their Lifetime Achievement Award and we spend a whole chapter on, on the limousine and, you know, the arrangements made. And, and I, I sat and thought about it for a long time. What is the point? Why does Mark go to this detail? And I think some of it is to help, help us understand that this is real, that this wasn't pretend, that this is a real story that really happened, and he's giving us some graphic detail, information that we, we wouldn't expect to have. But I think there's something more happening here. Last year, I was in Chicago with my wife. We were there because our church is partnered with a group called Hope. It's a benevolent organization, and we work a lot with them. And we were at one of their conferences. And it was in Chicago, and it was a couple days, and at night we would go out to eat, and I'm a foodie, as you can tell. <clears throat> and so we go look for like the cool hip places, and there's a place called, I think it was called the Purple Pig. I'm like, well, it's gotta be good. So we go there, and it's one of these hipster places, everybody's cool, and you know, and they got this crazy menu with weird things, and it's like lots of communal seating, so we sit down, and of course I wanna order everything. And I don't know why, this is my, I'm going to complain for a minute, but why can't they have a tasting menu? I want a restaurant with a tasting menu, because then you got to, you know, but they want you to order everything. So my, my game plan in, this, in these situations is to start making friends with people at the table, because we're going to share if I can make friends with them. <laughs> so these two ladies sit down, and we strike up a conversation with them, we make friends, and lo and behold, I start ordering something, and hey, you want to try it? And then they start, or hey, you want to try it? And we had a great time. We are trying each other's food, it was awesome. But thank God my wife was there because eventually the conversation got spiritual. And we, you know, one of the women sitting there with us seemed to be interested. Now, she was from Wisconsin. She was there for work on some conference, and she brought her friend. <clears throat> and uh, so we had this spiritual conversation, but I didn't know anything about our, we have a church in Wisconsin somewhere, and that's about all I know. 
And so she was interested, and we tried to give her some information. I think I got her a website. That was all I could do, the best I could do. So they left, and everything was fine. A month ago, I get a phone call from a guy in Wisconsin, one of our sister churches. And he goes, hey, is this Joe Collins? And I go, yeah. And he goes, hey, listen, I know, I know one person in L.A. His name's John Teal, the oldest guy in our fellowship. <laughs> And he said, John Teal gave me your number. I wanted to tell you that that lady you met came to church. She hunted us down on the website, and she showed up. And not only that, she loved it. We went out to lunch. We're going to get together more. Thank you for inviting her. Isn't that awesome when things like that happen? I mean, it's so encouraging when we go to do God's work, and we find out that God has already done the work. Isn't that what this story is telling us? Jesus said, go do this, but it was already done. They just showed up. It's amazing how God works through us and how he wants to work through us. And when we go and we do his will and we do his work, more often than not, it's already been done for us. Now, here's the truth. That's rare. How many of us have ever, you know, met somebody randomly and then got the phone call two months later? It's rare. I love it when it happens, but man, is it rare. Most of the time, we just get ignored. We get rejected. They look at us with hostility. But here's the point. And I want you to hear this, because this point matters. You're still doing God's work. Whether you get to be at the end where the reward occurs or the breakthrough happens or not doesn't matter because you're just one of the points along the way. Even though you don't reap the benefit, you're still doing God's work. That moment matters. Every time you sit down for dinner with your little ones and you teach them to pray, it matters. Every time you discipline your children and help them learn right from wrong, it matters. Who knows at the moment where they suddenly go, yes, mother, I know right and wrong now. When does that happen? I don't know. It just, I know there's a thousand disciplines that occur before you get to that point. Every time you invite someone to church, every time you give a meal, every moment you spend doing the work of God, no matter how insignificant and how useless it feels at the time, it matters. It kicks the ball down the field. It moves the needle. One of our brothers in the church, Mike, one of my dear friends, I love Mike. He has two boys, Reese and Camden, and he was telling me about Camden. He's been teaching Camden to pray at dinner. And Camden has been complaining about praying at dinner every time. I don't want to do it. Oh, why? Why don't I do it? And he's like, okay, Camden, you know, thank God for our family. Thank God for our food. Amen. Well, Mike was having dinner with Camden last week, and his mother was over, and they were having dinner together. And they sat down, and Mike's mom started eating. And Camden said, wait, Grandma, pray first. <laughs> when did that happen? In, in, in all the hundreds of times Mike said pray, when did it finally click for Camden? I don't know. Neither do you. But God is working in that situation. God is working on that person. You may not see the results, but trust me, trust God. Moments matter, and I think that's what Mark wants us to hear. Verse 7. Nope, sorry about that. I'll have to move that. Hang on. 
Okay, it's fixed. Verse 7. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed he is who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, Jesus had sent his disciples on into the city of Bethphage where they found the cult and everything exactly happened as, as he said it would. And now he's arriving in Bethphage. Let's talk about Bethphage for a minute. It's an interesting town. Bethphage was really not a city. It was, uh, the best way I could describe it is think of it as a district. Like, like we have the District of Columbia. What is that? Is it a state? Is it, what is it? I don't know. It's the District of Columbia. Well, Jerusalem had its District of Columbia. They called it Bethphage. And it was just outside the gate. 800 yards from the gate and the entrance into the temple was Bethphage, at the top of the Mount of Olives. Now, at Bethphage, the Sanhedrin had a court. For those of you who don't know, the Sanhedrin was sort of their version of the Supreme Court of the Jewish people. They had two places where they, had, uh, where they heard cases. The primary place was inside the temple, but the other place was at the city of Bethphage. In fact, that's kind of what the city was for to begin with. It was just kind of built around the idea of the, the, the Sanhedrin and, and its functions that it served. This goes back in Jewish tradition where at the city gates, commerce and government and things like that occurred at the gate. And that's what Bethphage was. It was the seat of the Sanhedrin. It was there that they determined how big the city could be. It was how big the temple should be. It was there where they would actually signal the start of various festivals or, or, or the, 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 the important points on the Jewish calendar. And if you can believe this, it was just like Lord of the Rings. They had a big old fire that they lit on top of the mountain that signaled the rest of the community. They would light fires and pass that signal on through Palestine. And that's how they alerted all the Jewish communities scattered around. Hey, it was Passover time. That all happened at Bethphage. When Jesus was arrested in about a week, he was taken to the temple, he was tried, and then he was removed from the temple and brought to Bethphage and he was sentenced. It's no accident that Jesus chose Bethphage to be the place that he would be mounted on the colt. Word had spread. And by this point in time, Tens of thousands of people, pilgrims coming from the road, people in the city coming out, were converging on Bethphage. And there was a crowd of people at Bethphage that lined the road all the way into the city of Jerusalem because they had heard that the Messiah was there. That Jesus, this amazing healer and potential savior of our people, is there. And not only that, but he's getting on a colt. Can you believe it? And he's doing it at Bethphage. In our day, the parallel is when a president gets elected. We had an election, not taking sides. Don't get upset. We just had an election. Okay, it happens every four years. <clears throat> and he get, the president goes and he gets inaugurated on the, cap, the steps of the Capitol. And then he parades from there to the White House. It's the exact parallel. Jesus got coronated at Bethphage. It was as if he was saying, my kingship has been ratified by the Supreme Court. Even though they didn't, the Supreme Court didn't accept him, he did it anyways. And he got on the colt, and then he marched with this procession into the city of Jerusalem. Beginning 
at Bethphage. Bethphage. People lined the route. They laid their shirts down, their cloaks, their jackets, their branches. They rolled out the red carpet and they paved the road for him all the way in to the city, cheering Hosanna, which means save us. And quoting Psalm 118, a psalm about the king. If CNN and Fox were there, they'd be arguing over the size of the crowd. How many people were there? It was bigger than last time. You know, there'd be a whole argument. This was a big moment. This was the moment. He announced who he was and he accepted the position. And he marched or rode into the city. It's really cool, but the rabbis in the time of Jesus, they would debate over the manner in which the Messiah would enter the city. Some would read the prophecies and they would see him as a king and a conqueror and he would come in with majesty. Others would read the prophecies and they would see that he was lowly. Look at what Zechariah said. This is one of the prophecies. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on, the colt, on, the colt, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The prophecy in Zechariah saw Jesus as both. He was both majestic and he was both humble. And I'm going to tell you something. If we're going to go out and live in love like Jesus, we're going to have to figure out how to do that. We're going to have to figure out how to carry ourselves as majestic and yet be humble. Let me ask you a question, and it's okay, I want feedback. Okay, Jeff? All right. When you think of majestic, what do you think of? What characteristics, what qualities do you think Jesus had? Strength, quiet strength. Yeah. What else? Royalty. Royalty. What else? Leadership. Leadership. Yes. Grace. Grace. Happiness. Happiness. Poise. Authority. 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 I was going to say confidence. I mean, I, that's what I picture. Integrity. When you think of a king, a good king, he's supposed to be the person of integrity. He's the person that brings right and wrong to the situation. He's supposed to be the guy that fulfills, you know, makes everything straight that's crooked. That's who Jesus was. What do you think of when you think of humble? Humble. Lowly. Modest. Submissive. Content. Patient. Servant. Consider others better than themselves. Okay, let's go do all that. <laughs> That's who Jesus was. He was majestic and yet he was lowly. He rode on a donkey, a baby donkey, a child, a, a young infant donkey. Matter of fact, not, not getting into too many details, but this donkey was probably already tied to its mother, the mom. That's how young the donkey was. And he rode that with the mom leading the way. He was, he was humble, but at the same time, there were tens of thousands of people cheering and laying their cloaks down. He was majestic at the same time. What a target. What a picture he presents for me as a believer, as a follower of what I need to be. 
If I want moments to count, I'm going to have to figure out how to be majestic and how to be lowly. There's no room for pride. There's no room for faithlessness. There's no room for arrogance. There's no room for inconsistency. There's no room for, for snobbery and there's no room for cowardness. That's who Jesus is calling me to be. That's who Jesus is calling you to be. Verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. It's almost comical. You have this moment, this incredible day, this celebration, all these people. He finally gets into the city, but it was late. Oh, I got to go. Six o'clock, lights out. This is a world lit by fire, not by electricity, so there were no lights. It got dark. And it was time for him to, to leave. And I'm like, what is that about? That's weird. What, I mean, didn't he, should, he, he should have went in and went into the temple and punched the high priest and sat down on the thing. I'm, well, something, right? He should have taken over. No, the day was over. So he went home, back to Lazarus' place. He spent three nights there that week, by the way, until he got arrested. What, what do you make of that? I thought about it for a long time, and I had all kinds of ideas, and I'm sure there's 10 ideas. But here's the one that, that spoke to me. There's only so many hours in a day. There's only so many days in a week. There's only so many weeks in a month. There's only so many months in a year, years in a life. Make them count. Make them count. Because we don't know what we have. We don't know what's left. We don't know where we're going. We don't know how the story ends for us, except that it ends good. Eventually, could be bad and then good, but it's going to end at some point ends up with good. Make the most of all of your moments. You only have so many. Make them count. So here's my point. The thing I want to leave you with. The duck had a chance to be famous. He had a chance to go down in history. We have a, have a chance. We have a moment, an opportunity to do amazing things, to see God work through us in incredible ways. Don't let the chicken talk you out of it. <laughs> Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for inspiring us with Jesus and his example. Please help us to be like him and to leave here seeing our opportunity, our moment, and seizing it. Help us to love and live like him, to carry ourselves majestically yet humbly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before you go, next Sunday is our annual...